Well, I hope uh, everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know many of us had people that we don't normally see throughout the year um, at Thanksgiving. And I know for me, um, I was blessed to have my son Brian join us this year for Thanksgiving. Brian's 20 years old, and he, he moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And oftentimes, when Brian and I have a discussion, he usually goes some along the lines of, um, how you doing? He goes, good. How you doing, Dad? Good. Alright, good talk. And then that's usually our talks. We don't tend to get into these deep um, discussions, but when he came down, we went for a hike, and it was interesting. We just got into this really deep discussion, and as he started to talk, he, he really opened up about um, what he's doing for a job right now, and where he hopes to be, and where he's at right now, is it where he wants to be, and he talked about kind of being in this in-between time and the, the tension that he feels as, as he's in this, this waiting period. And as we approach Advent today, um, today in the church calendar, I don't know if you pay attention to this, but today is Christ the King Sunday. And next week we, we enter Advent. And oftentimes we think of Advent as an on-ramp to Christmas. We, we think of it as a time to really focus in on the first coming of Jesus, the first advent of Christ. But really, in fact, it's, it's a time to consider the first advent, but also the second advent, or the second coming of Jesus. It's a time to really wrestle with the tension of, of being in the in-between times. We see that the Son of Man... Uh, Jesus came first as a humble servant, but he will return as a conquering king of glory and judge all of mankind. Therefore, everything that we do, our work, our service, everything, it matters to Christ. And so we live in these in-between times, between the manger and the throne, between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus Christ. And there's tension there. Today, the title of today's message is Manger to Throne. So if you're not there, um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, we're also going to be looking at Matthew 25. And today what I want to do is I want to make three observations from the first advent and second advent of Jesus and explore the tensions between them and explore the tensions that we find ourselves in and extract some practical ways that we can live, live uh, for Christ as our King right now. So let me pray and ask God to just bless our time. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time and we entreat you by the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we cannot. These are some deep truths. We are in these in-between times and we feel tension. Help us discern what you are doing at this moment. Reveal your word to us. May it penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the first observation that we see is Obscurity precedes clarity. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. There, a time came to be for the baby to be born at a specific point in history. And we read that they were there. Where were they? They were in Bethlehem. They were in Bethlehem and had to move to Bethlehem because of a census that was happening. And we see that Christ enters this world in obscurity. The first advent of Jesus came at a, a time in history that many consider the worst possible time in history. He was a Jew. And as a Jew, there was an oppressive Roman government that was in charge. It was the worst time, especially for a Jew to be born. 
seemed absolutely senseless. I mean, they had to go from their hometown to go to Bethlehem for a census. And then we read, after Jesus is born, there's another law that's passed that is a, is, is a state-sanctioned infanticide to destroy every um, firstborn male that was born. So there's all these things that are happening. It doesn't seem like the right historic conditions for the gospel to, to just explode and, and for the king of kings to enter in. And we read that with no fanfare in verse 7, she gave birth. She gave birth. So we see that the king of kings enters in this, this world with obscurity. There, he didn't enter in with this, this big coronation or anything like that. It was just very obscure. And this obscurity, obscurity continued his whole life. When we read in his earthly ministry, he goes to his disciples and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some people think you're Elijah, some people think that you're John the Baptist, some people think you're a good teacher. We read all of this stuff. He goes to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? And the only one that says anything is Peter. And he says the right thing, but then he says the wrong thing right after the right thing. You could read about that. We read that as he, as he preaches in his own hometown, the people in the town say, isn't that the carpenter's son? And then when he stands before Pilate, before he's crucified, Pilate says, are you a king? We see even after his death, burial, and resurrection, there's this obscurity. There's these, these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're, they're sitting there like, we thought he actually could be the one to deliver us. And they don't really know exactly who he is. So he lives this life of, 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 of obscurity. But we see that when Christ returns, he will return to the world and bring clarity. Verse Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When, when, not if, but when, the Son of Man comes in his glory, when, when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes in his glory, this is the manifest, manifest uh, presentation of God. It's usually we see in Scripture that it refers to great lights. And all the angels with him. There will be legion of angels. And we see that the return of Christ will not be this obscure event. People are going to go, oh wow, he just came back. We read that it's going to bring clarity. It's going to be a worldwide event. A global event. Revelation says he will come in the clouds. Everyone will know. Now as I talk to my son, I'll be hyped. He mentioned to me just... Um, some of the complexities he faces. And, you know, he says there's so much information out there, Gab, but everything is just so much information, and, and you can't synthesize it all, and, and, and yet you want to because there's just so much out there. He's like, it's overwhelming. He just mentioned how he just, him and his, his peers often um, just crave simple times. And to the point where he's looking at becoming a blacksmith. I don't even know, I didn't know there was such a thing still <laughs> And at times he says, I just feel like I was born in the wrong time of history. Like, in the wrong time of the history of the world. I just feel like born in the, I was born in the wrong time. And I think we often feel that tension in our lives. We feel like, maybe I just wasn't born at the right time. Or maybe I wasn't born in the right time in my own human history. It just doesn't seem like I don't fit in. And I just feel this tension. I, just, I don't feel like I fit in. And... So much in our life is obscure. I mean, there's these global events that happen, and we don't know exactly why they're happening. We can't explain it all. There's things in our in our in our own personal life. Why is why did so and so have to get sick, or why am I sick, or why did so and so have to die? We don't 
understand there's obscurity there. We find it really hard to remember that Christ is the king of history. He's the king of history. We look back and we see when he, was, he came in his first advent, when he came as in, in the manger. And we say that was a horrible time in history, but if you look at it now, we look back in history, we see that that's actually the right historic conditions for the gospel to just explode. That was the first time in history that inter-border travel was safe enough. And the Romans had created roadways everywhere as they had been conquering the known world. And so the gospel was able to just proliferate, like just go everywhere in the known world at that time because of that particular point in history. Jesus manifested himself and came in the flesh at the perfect time in history. We have to remember that when he comes back, he's going to come back at the perfect time in future history. And although Jesus is the king of history, we must remember that Jesus Christ is also the king of our own personal history. Our present situation and our future outlook sometimes can be obscure, but Jesus is coming back and it's going to bring perfect clarity to this. Helping perfect clarity in all these things, why you went through what you went through. So this is a, a time of faith. This is a time of faith. Remembering that Jesus has all of this under his control. He's going to provide that clarity, especially during these times. Not only these times, I mean, we're in New England. The, the, the most post-Christian area in our nation. It can almost feel like we're just marginalized. We, we entered in a long time of history here. And Jesus says, I'm going to bring clarity here. And it's a time of faith. It's also a time of faith during this particular time of year because everything seems to be just that much more, I don't know, that, that more exacerbated. So when we have problems and when we think about the fact that it's, it's Christmas time, it's the holidays, and things just seem that much more, like, worse. So we have to have faith. Jesus will bring clarity. So I have to ask you, what in your past, in your present, or in your future do you need to just bring to the king and trust him with? What is it? So that's the first thing. Second thing, we, we see that humiliation precedes exaltation. Luke 2.7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. But her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We see that Christ enters this world in humility. His mother was an unwed teenage girl. Totally culturally inappropriate. He was the firstborn, which normally would carry with it some sort of cultural prominence. But because he was born to an unwed teenage mother, it, it actually created this disdain and this humility, or humiliation. And this continued throughout his entire earthly ministry. If you look at John 841, he's going back and forth with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees throw it in his face. They said, well, at least we have a father. So everyone knew what was going on here, and they would throw it in his face. It was, he came in this world with humiliation. You also see that the king of the universe enters as a humble baby, wrapped in clothes, restricting his movement. And this is almost a foreshadow of things to come during his earthly ministry. He was, he was wrapped in clothing, restricted, and he was, already, he, was, he was restricted all the way to the cross. We see that, I just want to dwell on this for a moment. 
the king of the universe, the agent of creation, restricts himself and himself in, in, in humanity. At any time, he says, I could call down legions of angels and just obliterate everything and get what I want. But he doesn't. He restricts himself to this humanity. And that's huge for us. Because what this means is we have a king that is not detached from his people. He understands exactly what we go through. He knows what it feels like to hurt, to be restricted in our humanity. And as a baby, he was placed horizontally, incapacitated, in a feeding trough. Why? Because there was no room for him in any guest house. We often think that there was no room for him at the end. But when you read this in its, in its context, it actually means that there was no room for him anywhere. He was a guest in Bethlehem, and no one would take them in. No one. He was an outsider. Not accepted. And we see that Christ will return in exalted glory. Matthew 25, 31, 32. He will sit. Now, he will sit. This means, this is a privileged position. One who has authority for decision making. He will sit. On his glorious throne. His throne. This is the chair of a monarch. All the nations will be gathered before him. Every type of person will be gathered for him. Jesus is the king of everyone. Not the king of this region or the king of this, that region. He's the king of everyone and all people will be before him. So we see that although he was the firstborn of Mary and did not receive the accolades and the exaltation that he deserved, he is the son of man, the firstborn of God and will return as the exalted king of the earth. And he will take his rightful place to rule. Not as a helpless baby, but as a vertically exalted as the king of glory. He will rightly assume reign over all things, whether people accept him or not. He is the king whether people accept him or not. We read in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he comes back, everyone will know whether in heaven or earth, everyone, and they'll bow down. Now when I was with my son Brian, I started, I really have a hard time understanding this new generation. I really do. As I, say, I hate even saying that because I sound old when I say it. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys totally know what I'm getting at. So, I'm like, yeah, back in my day type of thing. But, I know, I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, what are some things that you deal with? How, do we, how can, like, as a pastor, how can I reach you? And he said, you know, Dad, here's the thing. I feel like I have, I have things that I believe in, but it's really hard to take a stance because every time you take a stance on anything, you're instantly humiliated on social media, and you're pushed in to conform to a certain thing. And that, that, that really scares me. I deal with that tension. I, I don't like to feel that way. So I, I believe in things, but I'm afraid to stand for them. Because it, it's like everything's on display for the whole world to see. And I think this is the tension we face as well. I don't think we have a problem talking about our political beliefs. I mean, I look at Facebook and social media, and I, I see we have no problems with that. I think, I'm t I think we have a hard time standing in our everyday situations, though. When you're at work and there's something ethically that's happening that is not right, it might be legally okay, but ethically it's not right. But we don't want to say something. But 
because we might be labeled as whatever. Or it might not, you know, it might affect us something that, uh, in a way that is not good. Or when we have a, just a, a conversation with someone, our neighbor or someone down the street, and they start talking about these sexual ethics that, make, that are totally, completely against what God would have us say, but we don't want to say anything because we don't want to be labeled as a bigot or we don't want to be labeled as these things. And here's the thing. It's not... We must remember that Christ is the king of our lives. He's the king of our every day. He's the king of our every day. You know, when I, I don't know if you remember this, this poster. But there used to be a poster that used to be out there. It was like a cat. It was like, it like the cat was kind of hanging on to this ledge. And it said, like, hang in there, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Look it up. It's, it's hilarious. Um, I still have But here's the thing. It's not enough for Jesus' followers to just hang in there. And just wait for the end. Jesus didn't say, hey, go ahead, just hang in there. Wait for the end. I'm coming. Don't worry. We're called to improve what our king has entrusted to us in our front lines. Jesus has put you where he's put you, and he wants you to redeem all things on your front line ministry. And he set the precedence for this. The precedence is the kingdom advances through humility. We've seen this. He set that precedence. This means being uncomfortable. This means rejection. And this isn't about moralism. It's about serving Christ excellently in our everyday and accepting the consequences for that. Why? Because Christ is our King. And here's the thing. Although we will suffer humiliation, following humiliation is exaltation in Christ. That's what we have waiting for us. Exaltation in Christ. Now, I mentioned that today was the, um, in the liturgical calendar, Christ the King Sunday. If you follow those things. We all have a, a personal liturgy, a ritual that we do every day. And I want to challenge us this, this Advent season to really change our own personal liturgies and reclaim our front line for Christ. This might mean you go into your work and before you start working, you pray for those around you. Just silently, you pray for those around you. That will change things. Or maybe you greet people differently. You encourage them during this season. Maybe you send them a note. I don't know what it is, but I want to encourage you to change and redeem your front line for Jesus Christ. Is that what So that's the second thing. The final thing we see is grace precedes judgments. I'm going to go back to Romans 10.4. Romans 10 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We see that Christ entered the world to bring forth righteousness. You see, there is no intrinsic righteousness. We don't have an intrinsic righteousness that God looks upon us and goes, Oh, you're just so good. We know that. We know ourselves. And so we have God's law. And oftentimes we think, oh, well, I don't follow the, the commandments that well. But I'm almost there. Almost doesn't cut it with God. And so what did he do? There was a separation between us and God. He sent Jesus, his only son, step down from heaven, clothed in flesh, and led a righteous and perfect life. And he was nailed to a cross. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we think it's the physical pain of the cross, but it was this emotional and spiritual.
spiritual pain that Jesus suffered. It was the first time that the eternal Son was separated from the eternal Father. It was the first time that He felt the weight of our sin. It was the first time that He felt the wrath of the Father that we deserve. And He died. But He was resurrected three days later, which proves that the Father accepted that sacrifice. And we put our faith and trust in Him. We are no longer deemed for eternal hell, but we're deemed for, for, for life in Him eternal. Face to face with Him. That's the good news of the Gospel, and that's grace. You can't earn it. It's for grace we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. You see, oftentimes we think, yeah, I'm saved, so that means my sins are wiped out. But it's more than that. That's not enough. We have to be righteous to get into heaven. So we put our faith and trust in Christ. Yes, our sins are removed. Christ has paid for them. But then Christ's righteousness is given to us. So when the Father sees us, He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. And now is the time of grace. And that's what He did in His first advent. He ushered in this time of grace. But Christ will return to uphold righteousness as judge of the world. Matthew 25, 31, 32, 32. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You see, in, in ancient Palestine, the shepherd would look out on his flock, and the goats and the sheep looked exactly the same from afar. But as you got closer, you saw the difference, and you would have to separate them. And so we see that this is what Christ will do. This is a personal one-on-one -on -one judgment. And we read in the book of Revelation what this is going to look like at the end of time. Revelation 20, 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him, him who seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone's, anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see here that all people who come before us, who come after us, will stand before Jesus... And it will be this final, ultimate, inclusive trial of the world. And the crucified one will be the judge. And here's the thing. Everyone who came before us will be there. Who comes after us will be there. And you and I will be there. We'll stand before Jesus. He's going to judge us for all the things that we've never done, ever thought. I just want you to think about that. Everything that you've ever done or ever thought, you're going to be judged for that. The righteous one is going to judge you for that. But, if your name is in the book of life, because you are saved by grace through faith, you are saved, and you are with him eternally. But if you're not, you're cast into the lake of fire. It's a real judgment. This isn't some sort of bedtime story. I don't know how this makes you feel, but there's a reverent fear that comes over me when I think about this. But there's also an urgency that makes me fall that comes over this. There's an urgency that just, that just comes out. And as I talk to my son Brian, I realize that he doesn't just want a vocation. He wants something that will have an impact, a global impact in life. That's what he's looking for. He wants to make a real difference. And we want to make a real difference.
difference. And one of the ways we make a real difference is by embracing the global mission of Jesus Christ. Telling people the good news of Jesus. And there's a tension with that. Because we don't want to come off judgmental. And then we're told that there's certain ways that you're, you're, you're called to do that. I'm not here to prescribe a certain way. I'm just saying that there's a mandate to do this and there's an urgency to do this because there's a real judgment coming. Recently in a leading air study, there was, they did a study and, and, and most evangelicals stated that they do not feel that there's a mandate to share their faith. I was blown away by that. Here's the thing. We do have a mandate to share our faith. How we do it is a, a total different way of, of how we do that. There isn't a prescription for me. My front line will look different. I get to preach. On your front line, it might look totally different. But nonetheless, we're called to proclaim the good news and bring truth into people's life because there's a real judgment coming and there's an urgency there. And here's the thing I don't want to sit around when I'm standing before the throne of Jesus and everybody's there and I look around. I don't want to think and go, wow, I had the opportunity to share Jesus with that person and they don't know Jesus. I can't live with myself. So my question is, is who on your front line is God calling you to share the gospel? Who? There's someone there. You're not there by asking. As I close up, as I was talking with Brian, I had a proud dad moment. Because I said, so what are you going to do with this tension that being in this, this location and wanting to be here? But what do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you deal with that? And he said, but then I'm just going to take it one step at a time. I'm just going to take it one step at a time. And I went, yes. My son's developing grit. This is a good thing. Step by step. Here's the thing. It's the same thing for us. Just take this one step at a time. This time tomorrow you're going to be somewhere. Doing something with somebody. And there's going to be tension. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to feel that tension of being in this in-between time. Between the manger and the throne. But remember that Christ is king. He's king at that moment, and he's placed you there for his cosmic purposes, to redeem all things unto himself. You are not there by accident. So my prayer for us is to believe that our lives may sing to the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We live in a time of tension. But you are not absent from us, Lord. You are working in us something bigger than we can possibly know. So give us assurance, give us boldness, give us courage. For today, for tomorrow. As we, we live under your rule now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.